The following program is being brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome to Episode 17. Today's Environmental Dialogue is titled, Solving a Big Problem in the Ocean, and we'll be We'll, we'll be talking about it. Uh, we'll be talking about the question, if you care about the oceans, why should you care about fishing? And with me today are Amanda Leland and Tom Lally. And at about 45 minutes past the hour, we're going to catch up with what's happening for oceans and marine life on Capitol Hill with ocean champions Mike Dunmire. That's near the end of the program. Uh, Leland... Uh, Amanda Leland is Environmental Defense Fund's National Policy Director for Oceans. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Rob. Amanda oversees a team of advocates in uh, D.C., California, and Florida, and leads all of EDF's federal ocean initiatives, including uh, sustainable fisheries, habitat conservation, and ocean funding. Amanda focuses on achieving ocean policies that are well-grounded in science and economics, and she builds support among fishermen, policymakers, and others, who sh- others for shared strategies for enhancing ocean stewardship. Amanda Leland has a master's in marine biology from the University of Maine, where she studied sea urchin ecology and engaged fishermen in her research. Amanda was previously the ocean policy director for the Ocean Policy Project, and this is a coalition initiative of the Environmental Defense Fund, Natural Resources Defense Council, and the Ocean Conservancy. Before that, Amanda was a Sea Grant Marine Policy Fellow for U.S. Representative Sam Farr. Tom Lally is the Communication Director for EDF's Oceans Program, which focuses primarily on improving the management of fishing. Hello, Tom. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Good to have you there. Prior to working for Environmental Defense Fund, Tom worked at World Wildlife Fund for more than six years as the Director of Program Marketing and the Director of Media Relations. His background includes reporting for public radio stations in California, Washington, D.C., Albany, New York, and Denver. Tom Lally's stories aired regularly on National Public Radio's All Things Considered, Morning Edition, and Living on Earth. In 1997, he received an Associates Press Award for exposing an illegal toxic waste dump in the Adirondack State Park. Tom was also the first reporter in the national broadcast media to cover the deregulation of the electric utility industry, which he did in a six-part series for NPR. 
Before he came to WWF, Tom worked for Environmental Media Services, directing media activities on biotechnology, natural resources, and other issues. Tom Lally graduated from Guilford College, a Quaker school in Greensboro, North Carolina, majoring in religion. Tom lives in Washington, D.C., and he's an avid bluegrass and rock musician, an ultimate Frisbee player, and a voracious reader of natural history. Um, as a fellow reader of natural history, uh, this is very distracting, uh, but I'm going to move to Amanda with the question of, um, if one cares about the ocean, why should we care about fishing? Amanda? That's, that's an excellent question, Rob. So um, there, there are lots of different things that happen in the ocean that um, either help or impede its overall health. But scientists, um, world-renowned scientists, have have been clear that overfishing is actually one of the biggest drivers of the health of the oceans in addition to climate change and a few other things that are more localized. But overfishing on a global scale is really um, a primary driver of healthy oceans. And so if you care about the oceans, you should care about fishing because fishing is what, you know, regu- uh, managing fishing is what will help, help the oceans over the long term. Um, the other thing is that the good news is that this is a solvable problem. So, um, in a way that can work for both fishermen and fish. So, there's a, there's there's every reason to to want to understand the, the issue, but also to want to solve it. So, mostly we're going to talk about solving the problem. And I see that you're pictured on our website, um, ready to jump in, holding a um, a crab and a sea urchin. Now, what are you up to in that photograph? Uh, that picture actually was taken when I was doing my graduate research, which was um, uh, subtitle research. So I was scuba diving in Maine year-round in the Gulf of Maine in very cold weather. So is that a dry um, suit you're wearing? It looks. And that's that's actually a dry suit that I'm wearing. That picture was actually taken on a day when it was warm, so um, I don't look frigid and 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 uh, shaking. But um, but my research was actually looking at how sea urchin populations had changed, um, and in large part that was due to uh, fishing that was occurring, which um, had basically a classic boom and bust fishery for uh, about 20 years in Maine. And at one point, um, it was the second highest most, or the second most valuable fishery in the state, second to lobsters. Lots of people don't really know that, that sea urchins can be a big fishery, and they certainly were in Maine. When I was doing research, I was really looking at and working directly with fishermen to figure out if it would be possible to restore sea urchin fishermen to areas where they'd been depleted. So in the end, the research showed new um, sort of new ecosystem dynamics that are playing out up in the Gulf of Maine. And the reason I'm holding both an urchin and a crab is that um, we learned that crab populations increased and crabs Mm. eat urchins. And so trying to restore the populations became very difficult because there were lots of crabs. <laughs> and why, what, why do fishermen fish for sea urchins? It's not something we see on the dinner table very often. No, it's not in this country, but it certainly is in Japan. Uh, sea urchin row, um, the, the male and female gametes of sea urchin, is called uni in sushi, and lots of people enjoy uni. 
Um, and so sea urchins are harvested for the row, and some of it is sent to restaurants and other things in the United States, but largely the products are shipped overseas to um, Asia in particular, to Japan. Right. And there are sea urchin fisheries around the world. Um, uh, so, this, you know, this isn't unique to the Gulf of Maine, um, but, it's, but it's certainly something that the people in the U.S. aren't really used to hearing about. Do you think the sea urchins increased after the cods disappeared or decreased? Well, there's, uh, there's sort of many decades of, of changes that happened in the Gulf of Maine. Um, in the, certainly in the nearshore coastal areas, as ground fish, including cod and, and other fish, were removed from the system, we saw a response where sea urchin populations got really high. Um, and you could actually do flyovers in the coastal regions um, and see the, the sea urchins, the huge populations of sea urchins from, the, from planes. Oh, my gosh. You in the shallow subtitles, so right, right as you would sort of wade into the water, really shallow. Um, but the fishery started in, in partly in response to the fact that all these urchins kind of sprung up, and the fishery was um, unregulated for a long time. It was, um, it was also very dangerous for fishermen. And they were, you know, they don't move fast. So when you get on a patch of urchins, it can go away pretty quickly. Um, and um, so sort of the work that I was doing was trying to figure out if you, could, if you could get them to come back. So once you take the urchins out, it looks like the crabs come in. And it's, it's a very complex dynamic and one that people are still trying to really understand to this day. And my research was actually, you know, I was doing that 10 years ago now. Yeah, and the questions go on. The well, questions do go on, and, and in particular in, in the Gulf of Maine and the, in the New England region, understanding how different populations respond to different, um, to different amounts of fishing and fishing for different species is really a, it's big, it's a big scientific area of inquiry. Well, it seems like you pretty much have to expect the unexpected. Uh, yeah, that's that's partly true. It's hard to it's hard to know. Sometimes it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. But I think the one of the, the things is that good good management management that works for fishermen and works for their resource really can make a difference in stabilizing the situation for key species, which can have an overall benefit to the ecosystem. Yeah, that's a great lead in to bring Tom in to talk about. Um, Tom, why are we talking about ocean fishing? As long as I can easily consume fried fish and clams and lobster and calamari and pickled herring on a cracker and anchovies on my pizza, why worry about ocean fishing? Well, that's a, that's a great question, and that's for most people. That's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, how the quality and the availability of seafood at their local market or at a, at a restaurant. And it's we don't really see, um, it, for, for a lot of American consumers in particular, it's, it, the, the overfishing uh, is, is not something that you really experience in the market. Uh, and part of that is because 80% of our seafood now comes from outside the United States. And the majority of that is actually farmed shrimp and farmed salmon. And so what we've done as fish populations in this country over the years have declined, we've gone elsewhere to get our seafood. And other species, as they've gone down in abundance, other species have come into the market um, that were really not fished before. 
Um, and there are numerous examples of that. In fact, if, if you look at a, a map of, of the globe and where fishing actually occurred, uh, a lot of it, as you can imagine, focused along the coast. Tom, um, we're going to be back with more about ocean problem fishing. Sure, okay. Break. Are you thinking green? Want to become a host expert on the Green Talk Network? Contact Jeff Spinard, president of our Internet Radio Division, at 480-294-6417. That's 480-294-6417. Or click on How to Become a Host on our homepage. You're listening to the Green Talk Network. Spread the green. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the Green Talk Network. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome to Episode 17. We're talking about solving a big problem in the ocean. And with me are Amanda Leland 
and Tom Lally of the Environmental Defense Fund. And Tom was talking about what a state the fisheries are in right now. And, Tom, um, how can this uh, ocean environmental and economic problem be solved? Well, it's a big problem, and so it's going to require uh, a, a, a big solution, and it's not going to be the same everywhere. Uh, so Environmental Defense Fund works particularly hard on a particular kind of solution for, for the problems with fisheries uh, known as catch shares. And uh, catch shares are a, a really interesting and innovative tool that are very flexible. They can be customized for different kinds of fisheries, so fisheries uh, with a lot of different species in them, fisheries with just one species, and, uh, and a lot of different conditions. So they can be used way up in Alaska, and they can be used in tropical waters as well. Catchers basically work by giving, uh, allocating fishermen their own share of the catch, and then the fishermen are held accountable to catch just that share, uh, and then in some cases they can trade the shares among each other. And, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, catch shares has worked better than virtually any other kind of fishery management system. And so that's the really good news. There's a lot of problems out there with fisheries today. There's, there's overfishing, and, boy, the list is really long for the problems. But we now have a solution that has proven to work in many different places over many, many years. And so that's why Environmental Defense Fund is focused so, uh, so much on catch shares. Because this is an alternative, this is different than the traditional command and control approach with quotas. That's been a real thorn in the side of, of fishermen. That's right. Uh, conventional management has really failed uh, all kinds of fishermen, uh, again, all over the world. It's been a very challenging, you know, most fishermen today uh, that are under uh, con conventional management, you know, they'll tell you a litany of frustrations that they have about how, how their businesses are constrained um, and how sometimes they have to do things like throw perfectly good fish overboard just to conform uh, with these regulations. And it just yeah. drives them nuts. So catch shares is an alternative to that failed conventional management. Um, and unlike conventional management, it actually is working, and there's good data to show that. Yeah, Amanda, you had a, a tale of the red snapper. That's a true tale. It, it, it is a true tale, yes. Um, thank you. Red snapper is a very popular fishery in the Gulf of Mexico, um, so the southern United States and the southeast coast in the South Atlantic region. Um, and it's a, fish, it's, a, it's a fish that has been overfished for a long time. Um, it's very popular with seafood consumers um, and with fishermen. Mm. Um, and it, it, it transitioned to a catch share program in the Gulf of Mexico for the commercial fishery three years ago. Um, after many decades, as I said, of overfishing. And that fishery now is seeing really excellent results. So fishermen are earning more money. They're able to fish more year-round, so they have a more full-time job, whereas previously their season had been down to um, just weeks a year. Um, they, the, 
the stock is starting to take um, a turn for the better. It has recently been removed from the list of um, overfishing stocks. So it's on the path to recovery. And this year, uh, fishermen are likely to see a 20% increase in their overall catch for well, the commercial great. fishery in the, um, the fishermen that are fishing in the commercial fishery under the catch share in particular. But it also means that there'll be more fish for everyone else participating in the fishery in the future as well. So it's showing good recovery. It's showing um, good benefits to the fishermen. Um, and overall, I would say it's, it's, a, it's a program that's proven very successful. And most people think it's, it's working because there's more regulation. But it's not. It's not more regulation. It's not more command and control. What specifically is it that's different than what's been in the past? Well, that's, that's a really good question. Um, the thing about catch shares is that they actually provide fishermen with more business flexibility. Fishermen know up front how much fish they can catch each year. So in, in, in past years, working under conventional management, they, they worked the, the amount of fish that could be taken out was decided for everybody. And everybody was basically racing against each other to try and catch as much as they could as fast as they could because they knew that once the cap got hit, there wouldn't be any more fishing. Mm. But now they know right up front, each fisherman knows right up front, of, you know, how many pounds of fish he can or she can land, and they can make decisions about their business to allow them to maximize their profits but also make sure that they're coming in at, the, at their limit, that they're not exceeding their limit. So it works on the conservation side, but it also works for the, for the fishermen in the business because they can decide to go out at sea when the weather is better instead of being forced to go out in bad weather. Or they can go out when they think they're going to fetch the best price when they return to the dock. Um, these are really important business decisions. And, and fishermen who, are, who operate under catch shares feel like they have a much more flexibility in, in being able to make those decisions than having the government make those decisions for them. Uh, yes. So this, this approach really does succeed to um, give a better share of the catch to the fishermen and also profit fishermen. Exactly. And to, I, I would add to that, the, the stability of fishing communities around this country relies on uh, fishermen being able to go out and, and fish. And, commanding, or, and conventional management has um, pushed fishermen off the water. They, are, they, have, they see shrinking seasons, and they see fishery closures. And that's, that's having a huge impact on the coastal communities where those fishermen live. Yeah, I've seen up here in Massachusetts where they're told they can only fish these certain days, and if there's a nor'easter sitting on the Gulf of Maine, you know, tough noogies kind of thing. Yeah, and that translates into serious safety concerns. And um, the right, result so catch and of catch... away from that approach and allows the fishermen to decide when to go for the fish that's his share of the catch. Exactly. That's fabulous. Tom, um, how do we get beyond this, uh, the, the piecemeal decision-making that sometimes often, you know, sometimes something other than the divide-and-conquer approach to all this? Yeah, well, that's, that's sort of the, the false choice that's been presented, that it's, it's, you know, you can either have profitable fishing or healthy fish populations, but you can't have both. And... Catch shares, 
yeah, that's a it's a false choice. Cat shares uh, does away with that um, because cat shares allows you to have both profitable fishing businesses and healthy fish populations. Um, and you know, again, if if you look at the the data, that is that is what cat shares brings you. Uh, that studies have shown this time and again, and you know, at, at the end of the day, that's what fishermen, of course, want. They want a healthy fisherman that provides them a stable, steady income, uh, and catch shares provides the incentive for them to do that. Under conventional management, uh, you know, a fisherman might want to, and of course they, they, they want uh, uh, sustainable fisheries, but oftentimes conventional management, the incentive is for them to, to fish as hard as they can and catch as much fish as you can. Catcher changes that incentive and allows fishermen to fish more selectively, um, to deploy less gear, which is, is good for the environment. That means less unintentional catch of other creatures uh, that, that you're not fishing for. Um, and, uh, and, and it allows fishermen to go out when the weather is good, uh, and when the prices are, are high for the, for the product that they're going to deliver to the market. Conventional management oftentimes doesn't allow you to do that, and that is just another reason why it, conventional management drives fishermen uh, crazy. It, it gives them uh, these incentives to do things that they, they don't really want to do. Catch shares well, changes that and lets the fishermen, uh, gives them more uh, freedom to make the, to structure their business in the way that they want to. So how does catch share reduce the bycatch problem using catch well, share approach? Yeah, well, when, when you're putting less gear in the water, uh, by definition, you're going to get less bycatch. Uh, and so catch shares uh, is, is a much more efficient way to, to manage a, a fishery. And so it allows fishermen, um, instead of being limited, for instance, to just going out on particular days and once the clock strikes midnight, uh, your day is over with. And even though your hold might be, you know, only a quarter full, you got to go back to port. You got to quit fishing at that moment. Uh, so that means you got to go out on another day um, and deploy gear again. And uh, under catch shares, you can structure it so that you just go out in one trip. Uh, you, you burn less gas, um, uh, and you can do your fishing in a much more efficient way, deploying less gear, and like I said, by definition, that's going to mean less bycatch. Excellent. Amanda, I understand that this is being used by the commercial Alaska halibut fishery. Um, as one who loves to eat halibut, um, I'm glad to hear it. Can you tell us a bit about it? Uh, sure, and actually halibut is one of my favorite things to eat, too, so we have that in common. Um, the halibut fishery is, is another success story in the U.S., that fishery um, transitioned to catch share some years back, um, and it was the the catch share program was put in place mainly to respond to um, sort of economic needs from the fishermen. The stock was actually um, biologically okay; it was doing fine, but the fishery had shrunk down to just a few short days a year. So, an entire we'll fishery. We'll interrupt and come back after the break to learn about Alaska halibut fishing. I 
Are you thinking green? Want to become a host expert on the Green Talk Network? Contact Jeff Spinard, president of our Internet Radio Division, at 480-294-6417. That's 480-294-6417. Or click on How to Become a Host on our homepage. You're listening to the Green Talk Network. Spread the green. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. It's football, pop culture, and everything in between. Get ready for the Game Plan with Anthony Heron, a.k.a. Big Ant. Anthony has a background in college and professional football and brings the player, coach, and broadcaster perspective to this weekly roundup of the top sports news and events. Big Ant wants to hear from you, too. Tune in to the Game Plan with Anthony Heron every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Sports Channel. It's game time. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Eco-conscious trends and lifestyles. You're listening to the Green Talk Network. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome to Episode 17. We're talking about uh, a new approach to better um, supporting fishing communities, and the new approach is called Cat Shares. And Cat Shares has been designed to make sure that fishing communities prosper and thrive. And it's, being, it's working from small fishing communities, such as in Chatham, Massachusetts, near me, to the large fishing community in Dutch Harbor, Alaska. Uh, and Amanda Leland with Environmental Defense 
was telling us about the halibut fisheries in Alaska. The, the halibut fishery that produces lots of seafood that we get to enjoy year-round now as seafood lovers, which is one of the benefits of the Catch Share program. The, the fishery before the Catch Share program was, um, had a season that lasted only a few days a year. And uh, fishermen wanted to figure out a way, um, and fishery managers wanted to figure out a way to be able to make, that, make this fishery last throughout the year so it could be more like a full-time job and so that it would increase safety. And um, they decided to go forward with a catcher program. And the results in that have been, I think, uh, really good. The this, this catcher program is designed to ensure that there's um, continued um, prosperous small boat fleets um, as part of the overall fishery. The, the fishermen and the regulators had decided that they wanted to basically maintain the structure of the overall fleet, and they did that, and they put in specific provisions in the program to allow that, to help ensure that that would happen. The fishermen are doing much better financially. The, season, the, the fishing goes on um, most of the year now. Safety is, is increased a lot. And from the consumer side, um, we now can go to the market and actually buy fresh uh, halibut, whereas before... Most of the product was um, in the frozen food section, um, largely because the quality was so much worse, because when you only fish a few days a year, the product basically gets dumped, um, and processing it all at once is very challenging. But because mm. it's a slower fishery now, it's happening over, throughout the year, um, we, can, we can have access to fresh halibut fish year-round, basically. Bravo! It's good stuff to eat. It's amazing the difference between fresh and, and not so, and frozen halibut. Um, what can uh, what can we do to get fishermen more access to sustainable fisheries today? I mean that's that's the real issue is how how can we um, keep, you know keep it accessible? That's that's a really important point. Um, you know, in order for that to happen, we need effective management and we need good science, and CatShares delivers on both accounts. And one of the benefits of CatShares, and this is, this is a particularly important issue as fishermen are really struggling around the country. Um, the resource in many fisheries is, is, in a, is, in a low, is, in a, is lower than it should be. Fishermen are, aren't, doing, aren't seeing the profitability that they want to see. And there's, it's having consequences in communities. But what catch shares can do is by in, improving the management and improving the science, it can actually decrease the overall uncertainty in the fishery. And when scientists set the overall limit of how many fish can be caught, that limit that, that fishermen have access to can actually increase because this, the overall uncertainty decreases. It's not that the scientists change the limit. It's that within the scientific limit, the fishermen have access to a lot more. So there's less of a buffer, less uncertainty, and more access to fish today. And they seem to have a share in the population of fish that they're fishing and that they can use their own strategies for when to go harvest those fish instead of you know, having a starter pistol go off and everyone racing out or something. That's exactly right, and they have a stake in the overall health of the fishery, um, and that makes a big difference from their perspective, and it makes a difference from the perspective of the conservation of the resource. Environmental Defense Fund has a toolbox um, 
to, of things that we can do. Tell me about it. Yeah, we actually have a, a number of online resources for folks to learn about uh, catch shares and fishing policy. And if folks want to tell the administration, uh, the Obama administration, that they support catch shares, and uh, actually the administration has released a new catch shares policy, which, and they're still accepting uh, public comment for that, uh, you can do it very easily uh, through a website we've created. It's um, uh, probably the easiest thing to do is just Google Catch Shares Toolbox, but you can also get there through uh, by uh, edf.org slash catch shares action. So I know that that's, that's kind of difficult, so I would just suggest Googling Catch, catch Share Toolbox and maybe throw EDF in there uh, to get you there easily. We also have a, have a blog. It's called EDF-ish. That's E-D-F-I-S-H. And uh, we have blog posts on a regular basis about um, fishing policy and catch shares and stories from uh, around the coasts of the United States and, and even uh, some of our work in Mexico and Belize. I see Amanda's in one of the bloggers there. Absolutely, yeah. We Actually, it's uh, uh, we have some blog post from Amanda, but uh, from uh, a bunch of other staff from, uh, from around uh, the United States, um, as well as the occasional guest blogger. Oh. Well, this, this is very important, and, and it's amazing that, you know, people who aren't so engaged can, can do something to make it. Does it make a difference if uh, those of us who just like eating seafood do something? Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Fishing policy has, has really been, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard for a lot of folks, it's hard for us to understand. And so uh, the, the, the government, uh, the folks who, who actually make the policy and, and, uh, and regulate fishing, uh, it's really important for them to hear from folks who live in coastal communities, uh, people who enjoy eating fish or, uh, you know, no fishermen or there are themselves fishermen, really important for, for those people to express their opinions uh, to the Obama administration about this policy. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd love to see people go to the Catch Shares toolbox, and uh, it's like a, a, a big button. You can't miss it. It just says, take action here. You click that, and you can send comments to the administration about the new Catch Shares policy. So how does it work? This isn't like, is this like big government just telling fishermen, here's your share, or is there more kind of alliance building and, and uh, uh, you know, communication uh, and listening to the needs of fishermen? The, one of the good things about catchers is that um, it, it, it benefits from the support of lots of different people. Um, on the political side, both Republicans and Democrats have been supportive of catchers and um, both the Bush administration and the Obama administration have supported um, the fisheries that have decided to transition to catch shares to doing that. Um, at the, it, within the fishery, um, you see when, it, when the discussion about management um, starts and you start to think about what the different options are and you look at how do, how do catch shares versus conventional management perform on economics, on safety, on the conservation of the resource, on the scientific information that the fishery can provide, you see that catch shares sort of do better in those, on, on all those levels. Um, 
for the fishermen and for the resource. And so you get you start to see um, conservationists and fishermen and scientists and and regulators and managers working more together because they see how it can benefit e- each of the things that they care about. And I think that's one of the things that is really promising about this this option and why um, you know I I spend so much time. Um, advocating for it. I see it as being the future for us here in the United States, not that it's going to be, it's not going to solve every problem for sure, and it's not going to be everywhere for sure, but it it really holds a lot of promise, um, and I think we're going to see that in the next few years where some of the most um, iconic, the most notable uh, fisheries in the country transition to catchers, like in New England and the Pacific, and the, the change that we've seen in the Gulf of Mexico. And I, I think five years, ten years from now, we'll, you know, we'll see the situation where even more people, even more people than there are now can be for this idea because they see how it has, it benefits, it sort of has a, a multiple bottom line benefit. It helps the fishermen, it helps the seafood consumer have access to fish, and it helps the resource. Well, Amanda, I want to thank you and um, Tom for bringing all of this to our attention. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. And I'm going to ask you to hang on. Um, When we um, come after the break, we'll talk with um, Mike Dunmire from Ocean Champions and and hear what's going on in Washington. Uh, But this is a, a most important, it's a very innovative approach, this catch here approach. And you know, the legitimacy in the fact that uh, the fishermen and all the different users have input to the system, and it's not just, you know, some some government group telling us what to do, but that there are alliances built where, you know, information is transferred back and forth um, about how it's working, and I assume that it's adaptable, uh, to, you know, year to year and stuff like that. It holds a lot of promise, and it's and it's been proven in a lot of different places. And I think that um, we we continue to refine, collectively refine, and make it uh, a better a better tool over time. But it it can really deliver some important um, goals. Great, thank you, Amanda. After the break, we'll be back. At the Green Talk Network, our experts want to hear your voice. Do you have a question or comment for our hosts? Call us toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. The Green Talk Network. Spread the green. All together Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI 
partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI Eco Steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice America Business Channel. Get ready for a show that breaks ground on the subject of women in motorsports and what it takes to dream, believe, achieve. Gas and Go with Alio is all about the movement that is happening lightning fast in women's racing. You'll get a wide array of perspectives from the drivers to the fans, as well as what it takes to be a role model in a male dominated sport. Join your host, professional driver Allie Owens, for Gas and Go with Alio. Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. Eco-conscious trends and lifestyles. You're listening to the Green Talk Network. Spread the green. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking about a solution to a big problem in the ocean. And the solution has been described by Amanda Leland and Tom Lally from Environmental Defense Fund, and it involves a process called cat shares. And cat shares are an innovative approach that helps fish and fishermen to rebuild, recover, and renew. And uh, I'm most grateful for their participation in the program. And I'm now going to turn, as we always do at this time of day, or almost always, to Mike Dunmeyer from Ocean Champions, who's um, going to give us an update of what's going on on Capitol Hill. Mike, how are you? Uh, doing great, Rob. Thanks very much. Uh, and I guess you know, before I, I plunge into uh, the big news and everything that's going on on the Hill, um, just to, to reflect a bit, I was listening into the show to Amanda and Tom, and I think they really did a, a wonderful job laying out the, the benefits of the pet cares programs, and uh, we at Ocean Champions are also very supportive of this program. We think that uh, the only really good fisheries management programs are the ones that uh, can achieve conservation goals, but also uh, take care of the fishermen uh, who are out there and also improve the science. And as, as Tom and Amanda really did a great job of laying out, Catch shares more so than any other fisheries management program we've seen uh, accomplishes all three of those objectives. So uh, 
it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to do some good things for a number of fisheries that have been struggling under, under traditional methods. Uh, and we also think uh, it's important to, to remember that we've got a NOAA administrator in Dr. Jane Lubchenco, who for the first time, in my memory anyway, is uh, someone who's come from the marine science field, uh, someone who we think can do an awful lot of good for the oceans uh, uh, throughout her time there. And this has been a priority of hers, and uh, we believe that uh, she needs the opportunity to try and, and do things her way, and uh, that that can lead to other great things happening for the ocean. At the end of the day, hopefully, the, uh, the fish, the fishermen, and then the general health of the ocean are all thriving. We're looking forward to the next few years. Mike, you got to keep your voice close to the telephone. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me uh, make a quick change here. Yeah. Okay. Is this yes, better? It's fabulous uh, to have Dr. Luchenko heading up NOAA, and her. Um, you were saying that she uh, believes strongly in uh, the catch-share approach. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we believe that uh, Dr. Lubchenko, uh, coming from the marine community, has got uh, the potential to do an awful lot of good things for the ocean that would benefit conservation as well as uh, the commercial uses of the ocean, and that uh, we think that it would be great for her to have a chance to be able to start to carry out some of her plans, of which uh, catch shares is definitely an important part. So, uh, like I said, we, we look forward to the next few years. Um, I guess then turning to what's going on on Capitol Hill, we, we actually had a very shocking uh, event happen last night, uh, and uh, we, we expected to be coming here telling a, a wonderful, happy story. We unfortunately don't have that story, uh, and that's what's happening right now with our harmful algal bloom bill. And uh, just to set up why this is so surprising, uh, we've talked about this a bit, but uh, we've been working this issue for some time now, and what we've seen throughout the process has been wonderful bipartisan cooperation, uh, both in the Senate and in the House. Uh, in, in the committees in Commerce and the Senate, it's a bipartisan bill introduced by uh, a Republican and, de and a Democrat. Originally in the House, it was introduced by a Republican and, de and a Democrat, all four of those folks, by the way, uh, ocean champions. Uh, and this year, it was picked up in the House by Brian Baird, who's the chair of the Ocean Subcommittee, uh, and, uh, and uh, Bart Gordon, who's the chair of the overall Science and Technology Committee. Uh, but throughout the process, again, strong participation from Republicans, Connie Mack, uh, another ocean champion, a big supporter of this, uh, Vern Ehlers, an ocean champion and a big supporter, and uh, during the committee hearings, really strong comments from both Republicans and Democrats. So uh, we expected the bill to get to the House floor this year, uh, under the uh, suspension calendar, which is a, an efficient way of dealing with non-controversial bills that have broad bipartisan support, which is certainly where we saw the, the harmful algal blooms bill. Uh, and uh, the bill was introduced on the floor yesterday, and uh, they waited for the evening for a vote. And uh, for some reason, uh, there was the need to go to an electronic vote rather than a voice vote. Now, under, uh, under the suspension calendar, it's not a straight-up-and-down vote. You need a two-thirds majority to, uh, to actually pass a bill under suspension. Uh, this, again, is usually not a problem because you've done your homework going in, and, and at least the, the, the members typically do their homework and find out that uh, you know, the path is all clear, and certainly it looked that way for Habs. But at the end of the day, uh, we fell about eight votes shy of the two-thirds majority. Uh, which is really shocking. It was like 263 to uh, 142 overall. And uh, Ocean Champions is, is 
uh, a bipartisan organization. We believe that ocean conservation issues belong equally to both parties, and, and we all have a stake in this. And we have helped elect a, a number of good Republicans, uh, all of whom uh, voted uh, yay on <laughs> the harmful algal bloom bill. But we did see an extreme case of partisanship last night where uh, uh, hundred and thirty some members of, of the Republican Party voted against the bill. Uh, and uh, the Republicans you know, clearly whipped against it and were, uh, were determined to bring it down. Um, we're not sure why at this point, frankly. And I'm actually on the Hill doing the call uh, from, from my car, parked on the side of the road, getting ready to start bouncing around. We've got meetings set up with uh, Republican staffers, Democratic staffers, and committee staff to understand, first of all, you know, what happened? Uh, why did this bill that received so much great bipartisan support for the last year uh, all of a sudden become an issue? And then uh, what can we do to try and move it forward? We have we've not given up, and we think there still could be an opportunity. Uh, but we were, we were surprised at what happened last night. It was very disappointing. Mark, I am surprised to see, because you had 32 Republicans vote for the bill, and yet enough, de- uh, enough voted against it to bring it down. But an insult to those Republicans that co-authored the bill. It's sort of like, yeah. Yeah, we, we've got to find out. And it's one of those things. I mean, I can't imagine anyone who is pro-toxic algae, who, who thinks it's a good thing to have uh, these blooms destroying habitat, killing fish, uh, wrecking jobs, because when these things hit shellfish industries, the, the shellfish season is effectively done because if people consume uh, affected shellfish, they can die. Yeah, and uh, so all of the, the Floridians who depend, you know, the Connie Max area and Kathy Castor's area in Florida, you know, the whole Florida tourist economy is the contingent on being able to go to the beach and not get grossed out. Absolutely. Uh, or get sick. Uh, you can have respiratory issues and short-term memory loss uh, as a result of just breathing these things. Uh, and, and Kathy Castor actually spoke on the floor and said this is a jobs bill. Uh, you know, in terms of fishing communities as well as uh, tourism, and she's spot on. It absolutely we're is. We're out of time, but that was a job bill, the HAPS bill, and we'll talk about it next time. Thank you for listening to Ocean River Shields of Achilles. Bye-bye. again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Green Talk Network. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Green Talk Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit thegreentalknetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. 
Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.